From the After 9 Podcast Studios, this, this is After 9 with Scott and Kat. And uh, hey now to you. Hey now. Hey now. Hey, now. hey everybody. More great DMs yesterday. Thank you very much. I appreciate the support on the Solo Scott Week here on the After 9 Podcast. Today we have got a lot to talk about, but before I get to that, before I get to the Prime Minister and all the other nonsense going on, uh, quickly, if you didn't hear yesterday's episode, it was a really good one. We were talking to the food bank about how many people are coming in and what they need. And and frankly, it, it's still shocking to me that they get a little bit of money from the regional government, but they get nothing from the province or the federal government. Nothing. At a time when more Canadians are using food banks than ever before, our governments can't even step up and fund the food banks. Really, really, really discouraging stuff. When so many people need help and we're not helping. And it's not just with the food banks either. I mean, the government is completely negligent in all of this. We've brought so many people to this country and there's nowhere for them to go. The shelters are completely full. They are at capacity. Yesterday, I heard Toronto Mayor Olivia Chow talking about the fact that they have to turn away 300 people a night from Toronto shelters. Think about that. 300 people a night that tried to find shelter in the biggest city in the country, fourth or fifth biggest in North America, and every shelter bed was full. It's crazy. Disgraceful at the same time. Uh, We really need government to step up and fix the mess that they have created because they created this and something's got to be done. These are people, man. It it is just crazy that we are okay letting them sleep on the street or telling them to fend for themselves, especially with the weather that we're about to experience over the next four or five months. Yesterday, the uh, prime minister came out and he did kind of an impromptu news conference, but the remarks were prepared. He knew exactly what he was going to say when he came down the stairs on Parliament Hill and spoke to the media. I'm going to play this, and and then afterwards, we'll try and... Oh, I guess I should have muted that. Sorry. We're going to... Fuck off. <laughs> uh, downloads and updates are installing, just in case anybody's curious. Uh, give me a break. Get out of here. I, I'm going to play a little bit of the Prime Minister here for you, talking yesterday in a very questionable speech. A month ago yesterday, uh, Hamas... Uh, launched a horrific attack against innocent lives in Israel. Uh, And every day since then, we have seen violence and uh, horrific images of families, elderly, mothers, children killed. We're watching it on TV every night seeing it all over our social media. And Canadians are hurting and crying out that it needs to stop. This is why we are calling for humanitarian pause. A humanitarian pause is going to allow all the hostages to be released, allow us to continue doing the work of getting all foreign nationals out of Gaza. We got 75 of 80 Canadians out yesterday, which is solid progress, but there is so much more to do. And a pause long enough to start not just getting aid in, but getting resources and medication and supports while we begin doing the work of de-escalating the situation, and not just in Gaza, but in the West Bank, where there's increasing violence, 
danger of it spreading into Lebanon, and where we actually start doing the work of the real heavy lifting that's going to be required to get back on track to a two-state solution, to start imagining what the long-term future of a viable Palestinian state looks like, safe, secure, beside a safe, secure, viable, and successful in, uh, Israeli state. This is what we need to get to. And every day that we continue to see uh, suffering of, of thousands of millions of people makes it harder to get to that end state. We're seeing right now a rise in anti-Semitism that is terrifying. Molotov cocktails thrown at synagogues, uh, horrific uh, threats of violence, targeting Jewish businesses, targeting Jewish daycares with hate. This needs to stop. This is not who we are as Canadians. This is something that is not acceptable in Canada, period. Period. The rise of Islamophobia we're seeing across this country and around the world is also unacceptable. The uh, expressions of hate against uh, Muslims, against Palestinians, against anyone waving a Palestinian flag. This is unacceptable. This is not who we are as Canadians. And if Canada can't figure this out, tell me what corner of the world is going to figure this out. So how can Canada... All right, before we get to any more of that, let's circle back on what we just heard. Justin Trudeau appearing to be somewhat statesmanlike in calling for a solution that would... Oh, geez, I don't even know if it would solve the problem. The two-state solution, we may be beyond that. We should have, or it's been called for, two individual states that govern themselves, that secure themselves, that live right beside each other, but in peace. A Palestinian state and an Israeli state. We've been trying to fix that for years, and we haven't really made any progress. And when the attack happened on October the 7th, I think that set the two-state solution too far down the road. I don't know that we can get to that point now, not after what happened. I don't think Israel is going to tolerate it. From Israel's perspective, things were okay. I mean, there were rockets getting lobbed back and forth fairly regularly. Most of them got shot down, but there's still a lot of violence in the region. It's dangerous for people to be out in a lot of cases, but for the most part, they coexisted just fine. However, the Palestinians want the right to self-governance. They want to be completely free and independent of Israel, and they don't necessarily like living next to Israel, but the geography is the geography. And I don't know that they're going to accept a two-state solution any more than Israel is likely to accept a two-state solution, not while Hamas is still around and remains a terror threat. So you hear a lot about ceasefire versus humanitarian pause. Many are calling for a ceasefire because a ceasefire would essentially end the hostilities. If there's a ceasefire, essentially Israel is going to stop bombing Gaza. And while a lot of people want that, there's many others that feel Israel has to as a responsibility to their citizens, eradicate the threat to Israelis. The threat is Hamas. Well, if they have a ceasefire, Israel can't then go and try and eradicate Hamas. They would still be there. They'd still have their country. That's that.
Now, a humanitarian pause is something a little bit different. It would be a pause in the bombing for two, three, four days maybe. And in those two, three, or four days, the hostages would have to be released. There's still a couple hundred hostages from Israel being held in Gaza. All right, I got to close that damn window. Sorry, everybody. I don't know why it keeps doing that. I don't know why a radio station would have that set up this way, but here we are. Anyway, if there is a a humanitarian pause, the hostages would need to be released. That would be conditional on it. It would also have to be respected on both sides. If Israel is going to stop the bombing to allow foreign nationals like the rest of the Canadians that still are in Gaza and can't get out, if they were allowed to leave and all the other nationals were allowed to leave, if humanitarian aid for the Palestinian people who are really suffering right now, if it could get in, Israel might be willing to stop the bombing. Let the aid in, let the hostages out, let the foreign nationals out, and then they'll solve it after that. That's what a lot of people seem to be calling for. I just don't know that there's much confidence in Hamas to hold up their end of the bargain. Not with a ceasefire either. So we are where we are. Israel seems pretty bent on they're going to go in and they're going to take out Hamas. If they agree to a humanitarian pause, I'll be surprised, but it's certainly needed. Good God, there's people suffering like you wouldn't believe in Palestine. There's also people suffering in Israel that still have loved ones that are being held in Gaza. And I really feel for them, too. So the prime minister was very statesmanlike when he came out and said that. But then he took an interesting turn. It's not Canadian to see what we're seeing. This anti-Semitism and and anti-Muslim sentiment that we're seeing, it's not Canadian. I agree with him on that. But it's not Canadian the way Canadians used to be. Something has happened in the last few years that has really, really divided Canadians. Now, what could that be? What was it that got everybody all pissed off and started fracturing off Canadians into different different areas? There was a number of things, but I'm pretty sure that if you trace most of them back, you're going to go right to the top and you're going to meet our prime minister. He ran an entire election on division. He ran an entire election on vaccines and tried to put a wedge between the Canadian people to pit Canadians against Canadians. Now he wants to call on Canadians to all come together and stand up for the the rights of Jews and the rights of Palestinians. Here's a little bit more of Justin. So, first of all, all of us as political leaders need to do everything we can to get back to bringing people together, to listen to each other, to understand that there are people across this country hurting, scared for themselves, scared for their kids here in Canada, scared for their loved ones on the other side of the world, and no sign of it getting better anytime soon. Canadians are scared in our own streets right now. Yes, we are, Justin. Yes, we are. People are also not necessarily going to listen to you, of all people, when you call for Canadians to come together. I thought it was funny that he, he ended that previous segment with, if, if it can't be done in Canada, what corner of the earth is going to do it? I don't think the rest of the world is looking to Canada right now. I really don't think that we're some moral compass for the rest of the world because the rest of the world has seen what's gone on. Justin wants us to be compassionate of one another. He wants us to listen to one another and respect opposing points of view. When has he ever done that? When has Justin Trudeau 
ever done that. When he was naming and shaming people who wouldn't get the shot or who had hesitations about getting the shot, when he was going after the truckers, he has never, ever been the one to sit and listen to an opposing point of view and respectfully debate. This is a guy who names and shames and divides. Justin, I don't disagree with the words you're saying. This is exactly what should happen. We should all come together. We should all reject anti-Semitism and anti-Muslim sentiment. We should all reject it full stop. Put an end to this shit. But he's not the guy to do it. In fact, it's a little cringy that it's Justin Trudeau now saying, we've all got to start respecting each other. We've all got to start listening to each other. I don't know, Justin, that is definitely the right message, but I think your your opportunity to push that message has come and gone because you're the worst culprit at it. We need to make sure that Canadians are doing what we do best, which is listening to our neighbors, understanding and acknowledging our neighbors' pain, even though it may be diametrically opposed in its cause, to the same pain that we are feeling. This is a moment where a country like Canada, that has been deeply proud of the fact that we get along here in diversity better than just about any other place in the world, this is a time where we need to lead, we need to model here at home about leading on the world stage. Here at home, we need to model how we get through this. That's the responsibility of every single Canadian to see how we are recognizing each other's pain and fear and move forward on it. À tous les jours. All right, now he goes into the French. Yeah, I'll say it again and, and just try and put a little bow on this. Justin is absolutely right. We really need to cut the shit. Did you see what happened at Concordia University in Quebec yesterday? Did you see it? We had uh, Jewish students who were putting up some of those missing posters for the people who are being held hostage. Then they were confronted by a bunch of Palestinian students. Listen to this. Big confrontation at the school. There's a ton of videos. If you want to go and watch it, go ahead and watch it. Anger is at fever pitch right now. And frankly, I'm not exactly sure how we walk this back at this point. There are Palestinians and Palestinian supporters or sympathizers here in Canada that firmly believe the Palestinians have been given a shit deal. That firmly believe the Palestinians have a right to self-governance. That firmly believe Israel should have nothing to do with what comes in or out of Gaza and the West Bank. There are people who believe that they're being completely oppressed by Israel. Flip it around. There are Israelis that are reeling at the fact that over 200 citizens have been kidnapped or are being held underground right now in Gaza. And they want their families back. They're bombing right now to soften up targets and soften up Hamas. Because when the Israeli Defense Force goes in there, they're not going to go in and ask questions and do a, a nice and tidy little investigation. They're going in shooting. And what scares me is there's not a lot of easy ways to determine who's Hamas and who's just a regular Palestinian citizen that wants to live their life in peace and security and have a right to self-governance and no issues from their neighbors. These Palestinian supporters that you see in some of these videos, they believe in what they're doing right now. But so do the Jewish protesters. They're not even, I shouldn't even call them 
protesters. I mean, in, in this case, they just set up a table at Concordia. They were trying to draw awareness to the fact that there are hostages being held still in Gaza, Israeli hostages. All of this after many members of the media and many of our politicians were offered the opportunity to watch the footage, to see what happened back on October the 7th when Hamas went into Israel and started mutilating people, murdering them in cold blood. Men, women, children, they didn't discriminate. They shot up an entire music festival. They tortured people before they killed them. In some cases, they didn't even kill them. They just left them to suffer. One of the most difficult things ever watched, says some people who have seen this footage. And and the Israelis are thinking about this, thinking of what they did to them. And they want revenge. They want retribution. They want to make sure this never happens again. So they're going to continue to fight with Hamas. I really don't know what the solution is, but I certainly understand the passion. And I get it on both sides. The, The question is, how far is this going to go? Can't be throwing Molotov cocktails at Jewish owned businesses. Can't be out in the street calling for the destruction of Israel. We just can't be doing that. Not in Canada, not in 2023. It's getting too hot and good on the prime minister for trying to dial this back a little bit, to try and take down the temperature a little bit, to try and and ask people to, to find a little common ground here and at least just debate this respectfully without the violence that is happening and will get worse. It's absolutely going to get worse. But Justin's not the guy to do it. He's really not. He doesn't have the moral high ground to stand on. He's the one who fractured so many relationships in this country, so many friendships in this country, and he did it intentionally. He knew exactly what he was doing when he decided he was going to make vaccines the top issue of the 2021 election and shamed anyone who wouldn't get it. You heard all the divisive language he used. He did it. He wanted it done. He thought he was going to have everybody on his side. Well, now the situation has changed. Now people are waking up a little bit. Now people are realizing, "Eh, wait a second, wait a second. Shots aside, this guy did intentionally try to divide us, and it's not right. We need somebody else to come out. I, I, I know there's a lot of rumors and a lot of calls for Justin to step down, saying he can't continue on in his capacity as prime minister anymore. There's just too much damage done. There is no water under the bridge here. People are angry and passionate. And he got them that way. He galvanized them when he went after them. We need somebody else to come out and call for peace and do it respectfully and and look at both sides of this. At the absolute least, I know that a lot of people want a ceasefire, including the NDP, certain members of the Liberal Caucus, even though they don't have the balls to stand up to Justin and say it publicly. A lot of people want a ceasefire. The rest seem to want a humanitarian pause. Well, let's start there. That's something we can agree on. We, let's at least take a pause from the bombing and get medical supplies, food, clean water, all of those sort of things that the Palestinian people need right now. Let's get it in there as quickly as possible. I don't care if they airdrop it. I don't care if they drive it over the border. I don't care if they throw it over the wall, but they've got to get support to the Palestinian people. They need to do that. And the only way they can do that is to have a pause in the bombing. But by the same token, Hamas has got to release these hostages. I feel like until those hostages are released, nothing positive is going to happen here. And I just don't want any more people to die. I don't want to see a single Palestinian person more suffer. I don't want to see a single Israeli citizen suffer any more than they already have. It's horrible what's gone on here. 
And the fact that it's continuing on and, and the, the protests, the violence, the hate, it's spreading around the world and we're going to end up in a real dangerous situation here soon. Somebody else needs to come out and make the same call that Justin did, but they've got to do it and have a little bit of credibility to their name. And God, I hope that this gets sorted out because it is so goddamn sad watching what's happening right now in Gaza. And so many of the Palestinian people, they weren't expecting this. They didn't want this. They just want to live their life in peace. Like all of us want to live our lives in peace. The exact same thing with the Israelis. They just want to carry on with life and live their life and, and enjoy their family and, and whatever else. They don't want this shit going on. A lot of people don't. But we've got to start. We've got to start getting aid into Palestine. It's just, there's too many people suffering right now. They've got to release the hostages from Gaza and get them back to their families in Israel. And that's when we can start to make a little bit of progress on figuring out what the end game here is and what the solution is going to be. I don't know what it is. Like I said at the beginning, I don't know that the two-state solution is ever going to be on the table again. I don't know. I think a lot of damage got done with that attack on October the 7th. The response has amplified that. I I don't know where to go from here. I just know that right now there's too many people, human beings that are suffering and we've got to find a way to stop it. Uh, To that end, Toronto police have more than tripled the size of their hate crime unit due to a rise in reports of hate crimes since the Israel-Hamas war began. The hate crime unit has grown from six cops to 20 of them plus eight more district special constables. They've also launched an online forum for the public to report hate-motivated graffiti for police to investigate and arrange for the removal. That's what's going on. They more than tripled the size of the Toronto Police Hate Crime Unit, and most of it has to do with this situation right here. Probably a good step. We got to keep the peace here, and we got to call for peace there. Those, I think, are the two things that we can do as Canadians to try And make a bit of a difference. Now, while we're talking about Trudeau a little bit, I want to play something else that came up in the House of Commons. Justin Trudeau, as you know, is in a lot of hot water because he gave certain, uh, certain, what's the best way to put it? Opportunity, a break, a boost for people who heat their home with oil. He is taking the carbon tax off of that for three years. That's a nice little bonus. It's something that'll really benefit people who have oil heat. But as you know, there's a lot of people in Atlantic Canada using oil and not nearly as many throughout the rest of Canada. Most of the rest of Canada is either using wood for heat or they're using natural gas, a much greener gas than oil. The prime minister is going to go out and buy heat pumps for a whole bunch of people in rural areas and those that are on the gas, the oil. And, and he is really, really, really hoping that in doing this, he's going to get a little more support from Atlantic Canada where his poll numbers are sinking. Most people see this as political. It almost certainly is political, but he's doubling down on it that there's going to be no more carve-outs from the carbon tax. The only break anyone's going to get is mainly going to benefit Atlantic Canadians who, again, mainly use oil heat. He's really doubling down on this climate crisis that we're in. Listen to Justin Trudeau in the House. The fact of the matter is, Mr. Speaker, Canadians are afraid of climate change. They're afraid of the extreme weather events. They're afraid of the concerns we have about a brighter future. And what we are doing is fighting climate change every day. The fact of the matter... I'm going to play this just one more time because I really want this to sink in. Listen when Justin says Canadians are afraid 
of climate change. Matter is, Mr. Speaker, Canadians are afraid of climate change. They're afraid of the extreme weather events. They're afraid of the concerns we have about a brighter future. And what we are doing is fighting climate change every day. So the, fact- the reason he's doing that is because he's trying to draw a comparison, sorry, draw a distinction between him and Pierre Polyev. The liberals have this talking point where they keep hammering it. No plan, Pierre. Pierre has no plan for climate change. Pierre, blah, blah, blah. I mean, he does. It's very easy to read it. It's on their website. You can read their plan. I mean, that's just a misleading lie. Now, when it comes to Canadians are afraid of climate change, I'm going to correct the prime minister. I don't know many Canadians that are afraid of climate change. I think there's a lot of people that are concerned about climate change, but not to the point where they're ready to go broke, not to the point where they're ready to freeze through a Canadian winter. And that, I think, is the miscalculation that the prime minister here is making. Have you seen these ads that they're running now? Just some of the worst commercials I've ever seen in my life. You know, I'm really worried about climate change. Nobody has that conversation. Nobody has ever once been sitting in their living room or at a pub with their buddy and said, you know, I'm really worried about climate change. It doesn't happen like that. The prime minister is trying to create some narrative here that Canadians are quivering in their boots wondering, oh my God, when is there going to be a tornado or a tsunami? I don't think by and large they are. I really don't, especially when it's hitting them in the wallet as hard as it is. We've gone all in on this, this, whatever it is the prime minister is trying to manufacture here. We've gone all in on it, and I think Canadians are starting to say, whoa, wait a second. Yeah, we're concerned about climate change. The climate is changing. The weather is changing. But the weather has always been changing. The earth has been evolving for centuries. This is the point we're at now. Can a massive reduction of carbon emissions change that? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not a fucking scientist. Is what we're doing going to reduce those carbon emissions? The answer is probably not. And even if it did work exceptionally well in Canada, unless the big polluters in the world, the U.S., the Chinese, India, etc., unless they make a huge difference, what we do is not going to make a difference. And I think Canadians are starting to realize that. You know, he goes all in on this climate change stuff, and, and that's fine. We can talk about carbon and its role in climate change, but I really wish we could have a government that's worrying about all aspects of the environment. Protecting lakes and streams, protecting our fresh water supply, uh, protecting our forests, protecting our animals and endangered species. There's so much more that goes into it that these fucking guys don't even care about. Because it's not politically advantageous for them to hold up a, a, a bunch of squirrels and say, these ones are going endangered because they don't have a reliable food supply and it's because of this and that. They're not doing that. It's not really an environmental plan. It's a carbon plan. That's all it is. Taxing us to try and get us to off of carbon? It's really cart before the horse kind of thing. There should have been a lot more work that went into prepping Canadians for this, warning them about the change. And yeah, the timeline that they're on is incredibly aggressive. New report just came out the other day. You know Justin Trudeau, Mr. Climate Guy, right? Well, now it's confirmed Canada is not going to be able to hit its own targets for 2030. We're not going to make it. Even if we did everything right from now forward, we still will not hit our climate targets for 2030. 
with an environmental activist as the environment minister and a prime minister who is basically going to throw it all on the line on the next election on climate change, we're not even going to hit our own targets. How many times did this government criticize previous governments and again, they're going to miss their own targets? We can't take these people seriously. They have no credibility. When they stand up and claim they're these amazing stewards of the environmental policy, it's just not true. They're taxing Canadians into poverty, and it's not making a difference because we're not even going to hit our own targets. And even if we did, it really is a piss in the ocean because we're not the major source of pollution in this world. There are far bigger emitters that are doing far more damage on the carbon front than Canada. And I think Canadians are starting to wake up to that reality. I'm not saying we shouldn't do anything. I think we should do stuff. If we have an opportunity to be more green, to lower our carbon footprint, I absolutely think we should. You know what I'm going to suggest? I'm going to do just one. If carbon is such a pressing issue for the environment, why does this government continue to fly around on private jets nonstop? In fact, why haven't we banned private jets Why haven't we gone to Bill Gates and said, yeah, you're not allowed to fly your private jet anymore. There's no more private jets. Everybody flies on a commercial plane or you don't fly. That's all there is to it. The prime minister is very good at barring people from flying. Why don't we ban private jets? I don't think there's a single thing on earth that emits more carbon emissions than a private jet. That's all Trudeau flies on. His ministers, they fly on these private jets all the time. Wealthy individuals that are always encouraging us to do our part and do more and pay more, they're all flying around on private jets. It's one of the worst things we can do for carbon emissions. And these guys won't stand up and say, hey, listen, rich friends, you're going to have to park your jet. You're going to have to sell it. We don't do this anymore. You know how many private jets there are? Thousands of them around the world. And they're all flying, just emitting carbon and gas and shit into the environment and nobody's talking to them because those are the wealthy privileged elite apparently they're exempted from it all of this must fall on the backs of the middle class pay more we can change the weather if you pay more tax the weather will get better i don't think a lot of people believe that anymore i think a lot of people have seen the hypocrisy here and and they've said you know what we're not doing this shit tired of paying for it It has nothing to do with us. How about the prime minister, again, leads by example? It's one thing to come out and and, and tax the living shit out of Canadians when they can afford it the least. It's another thing to not do it yourself. The amount of emissions that probably comes out of the prime minister's office and, and the government in Ottawa is probably something that would make you sick. But they'll all stand there at their podiums lecturing us that we need to do better and we need to pay more to change the weather. Very frustrating. God damn it. We're almost out of time already. Okay. There is uh, (laughs) a couple other things I wanted to get to on this episode of After 9. And I'm going to start with this. Apparently, the royals, Harry and Meghan, are quite upset about an upcoming episode of Family Guy. On this upcoming episode, they're going to poke fun, just like they do to so many other celebrities. But this time, they're going to poke fun at Harry and Meghan. And apparently, nobody is more pissed off about this than Meghan Markle. It's been a bad week for the Royals. 
earlier this week, it leaked out that they will not be attending Prince Charles's birthday party. Even though it's Harry's dad and Meghan's father-in-law, they're not going. Now, everybody is punting this back and forth. The royals say they weren't invited. Other people say, uh, yeah, they were invited but declined. I don't know what the truth is or if we'll ever know. They're always a little weird about that sort of thing, aren't they? Telling us who did what and who said what. Well, let me take you to this episode of Family Guy. Again, this is the one that Meghan Markle is furious about. Apparently, they claim it is savage and an outrageous slur. Megan says she won't be humiliated like this and is desperate for a solution. They're in full panic mode, a source tells Closer Magazine. It's not that bad. I thought it was actually kind of funny. Listen to this. Sir, your millions from Netflix for no one knows what. Put it with the rest of them. Babe, time to do our daily $250,000 sponsored Instagram post for Del Taco. I shouldn't have left the made-up nonsense. He's probably right about that. Harry and Meghan apparently not impressed that that is coming out. (laughs) It's fine. You gotta laugh at yourself a little bit, don't you guys? Come on. And by the way, is it untrue? What did you guys do for Netflix? Netflix sent you guys packing because you were supposed to do a bunch of shit that they say you didn't do. What is going on with, with Harry and Will? What's going on with Kate and Meghan? Why are they not going to the prince's or the king's birthday party? Why? A lot of questions. People think they're grifters. And they kind of are. They're certainly acting like that. It's the impression I get anyway. Do we have time for anything else here? Let me see. Let me see. Let me see here. Yeah, I think we can do... I'm just going to blow through a couple more headlines. Uh, One of the things that I was really impressed at yesterday was the amount of people that told me they listen to After 9 every day, and it's really their only source of news. I would encourage everybody to watch a variety of different news sources, but if this is the one that you get news from, then let's give you a little more. Bank of Canada says interest rates could still go up. The central bank has released its summary of deliberations detailing the discussions in the lead-up to last month when they decided to leave interest rates at 5%. The summary suggests members of the bank are split about whether rates could or should go higher. There's still concern Inflation isn't falling fast enough, even as the economy responds to higher interest rates. Let me tell you, Bank of Canada executive something, and I know you probably won't listen to me because you're rich, wealthy individuals that are just making so much money right now, and you don't give a shit about the middle class. I get it. You want people to lose jobs. You want a recession. You want a lot of stuff. Meanwhile, you're stealing money out of the middle class's pocket. You are literally transferring wealth from people's homes and bank accounts Right to yourselves. The fact that any of these idiots is even considering raising interest rates even further shows how little they care about Canadian people. They don't care about the middle class. Anyone who suggested the other day, well, this this three and a half or what is it, four percent for inflation right now? Four percent? Even when inflation was ten percent, people were saying, I'd rather take the ten percent inflation than the extra double the amount in our mortgage payments. I'd rather deal with an extra 10% at the grocery store or if I happen to need to buy something rather than deal with rent that is almost doubled. People cannot afford it. I can't say it any more plain and simple than that. People cannot afford it. If these pricks raise interest rates again, it is 
devastating the impact it's going to have. And none of our leaders, even though they have absolutely the ability to do it, none of them will stand up to the Bank of Canada. At the beginning, when Pierre Polyev was first elected the leader of the Conservative Party, taking over from Aaron O'Toole, he went after the Bank of Canada, and people were cheering him on, saying, yeah, screw that Bank of Canada. And then he got shamed. Oh, we can't interfere in the independence of the central bank. And then the bank was out there with news releases crying their eyes out. How dare a politician question us? Grow up. We can't have a central bank that calls the shots that intentionally and, and by definition doesn't give a shit about Canadian people when all they care about, their only mandate, is to keep inflation under control. Well, they screwed that up. They lost a ton of money for the first time in history. It's a bank losing money because of pure incompetence and mismanagement. Everybody should be allowed to criticize the central bank or we shouldn't have a central bank. Maybe it's time to get rid of that. Huh? Maybe our politicians should have a debate on that. Just a suggestion. There's a new option if you want to lose weight. U.S. federal regulators say a new version of the popular diabetes treatment, Mounjaro, can now be sold as a weight loss drug. The FDA has approved Eli Lilly's drug named Zepbound, which has been shown to help dieters lose between 40 and 60 pounds in testing. The FDA approved the new drug for people considered obese or for those who are overweight and have a weight-related health condition. Well, this will take some of the pressure off Ozempic, right? This will take some of the pressure off the doctors. How many people have gone to their doctor, not because they're diabetic, but they want an Ozempic prescription because it's an easy way to lose weight? Well, apparently this will replace the need for the Ozempic, and the Ozempic can continue going to diabetics. I'm okay with it. I mean, if you talk to your doctor, fine. If the doctor says, yeah, you should lose a little bit of weight, but you have a sedentary lifestyle, you eat like shit, uh, this drug will help you lose some weight, and if that's the kickstart you need to maintain a healthy lifestyle after that, give them the drug. Unless there's some inherent danger to people, give people the drugs if they want it, if they want to pay for it, or if their benefits will pay for it, let them have it. One more thing, and this is something from Kitchener, where the Scott and Cat Studios are. Yesterday, we had some freezing rain coming down. I think most people experienced some of that. Ion train service got shut down right at the peak of rush hour. They shut down the train because of the freezing rain and there was ice building up on the tracks and on the lines. It didn't come back online until after 9 p.m. Really? Oh, and one more transit thing. Hamilton transit workers are now on strike. No deal between the city and the amalgamated transit union. I think I've said it every day this week and after nine. If they don't find a way to make the damn transit run reliably and consistently, you're going to lose the room. You guys got to figure this out. We can't have people standing at bus shelters just waiting every time it, it freezing rains a little bit. Not in a country that gets inclement weather five months a year. Got to figure this out. If you want people to use transit, if we want to recoup any of the investment we've put into transit, you've got to make it reliable. There shouldn't be a time when transit isn't running. Now, I do understand the safety aspect here, and an LRT, eh, maybe it's probably a dangerous idea for it to run if the, the lines are frozen. But fix something. Fix this. There's got to be a way to do it. Hell, we figured out how people can heat their driveway and never shovel again. You're telling me we can't heat those lines or heat those rails so that they don't ice over? Come on, guys. Be a little creative here. 
get the transit running reliably and people will be far more inclined to use it. And on that, I will say, have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this Solo Scott episode of After 9, and I will see you right back here tomorrow. Pizza Hut in Hong Kong is selling a pizza topped with snake meat. Everyone in Hong Kong was like, ew, Pizza Hut? (laughs) Three pandas from the Smithsonian National Zoo were returned to China, packed at a special crate on a FedEx plane, or as Southwest calls it, Economy Plus. (laughs) The menu from the Titanic is expected to sell an auction for up to $86,000. $86,000. That's how desperate people are for a menu that's not a QR code. People Magazine announced that it is named actor Patrick Dempsey the sexiest man alive. Huh. You guys know we were only supposed to set our clocks back one hour, right? (laughs) 